We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Ian Johnson said, can you explain how how stretch, wide zone, split zone, outside zone, mid zone, and inside zone attack a defense? And it's a very First of all, question. a lot of those things are the same thing. Yes. Yeah, so outside zone, wide stretch zone. Stretch and wide yeah. zone and outside zone are all the same thing, basically. Yep. Uh, the difference between stretch and outside zone, as we've talked about, is angle of the ball carrier. Out stretch is more of a pistol under center zone. Outside zone is more of um, an offset wide swipe kind of thing inside zone and split zone are the same thing split zone simply refers to you're bringing someone from the front side to the back side whereas Usually an H in, back yeah. right tight end something like that a second running back if you're in like 20 personnel whereas inside zone you just line up with the tackle backside and he just blocks the inside c gap and that's just it it is what it is right so it's the same play mid zone is different but even mid zone teams do mid zone differently. You know, Jim yep. McNally will do different in the mid zone a little different than some of the, the air raid teams that run mid zone. So essentially, inside zone and is is a quick hitting downhill play. The way that you, it was explained and kind of how we taught it when I was coaching Ryan, and again, this is a while ago, it may be different now. Is slow swipe versus fast swipe. Yeah. Inside zone is more of a slow swipe play. It's a it's a power running play. It's you're trying to get vertical movement. Okay, so you're going to run double teams. Teams will run it differently. I know some teams, Ryan, that would run inside zone to the tight technique, so the shade, uh, the nose, the shade, or the inside of the guard. So that'd be a one. Some people call it two eye. I've seen it called different things, and they'll run it to that. The way we always or and that's how we ran it. We ran it to the tight technique because we wanted to cut behind the three technique or the two uh, other teams will run it to the three technique because they want to run it backside. I mean, I, I never ran it that way, but I know teams that, that do it that way. So inside zone is a vertical play. You're going to, depending on your footwork, you're going to open cross and just get downhill. You're going to attack the inside butt of the guard to your call side with the, 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 the design to, 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 for it to cut back. It's a yeah. cutback play. So if you want to run inside zone and you want the blocks f- to be behind Quentin Nelson, you actually don't call it to the left. Call it to the you right. call it to yeah. the right, and yeah. then you're cutting behind it. 
And so it's a backside play, even when it's a vertical. And it, it, it'll be a cutback. And that's something that will make a little bit different, where it, you could end up cutting behind Quentin Nelson on an outside zone to the right, but it's a vertical insertion. It's just the way that it goes. But inside zone, downhill, power run, you've got to have somebody to account for the backside edge. You can do it three ways. You can do it with split zone, where you bring someone from the front side to the backside. The reason you do that, Ryan, different reasons. Number one is you like the angle. You think yep. the way that they play the edge, you like the, the inside-out angle better to seal that backside's one reason. Uh, number one. Number two, sometimes that cross action can can kind of create a little bit of, okay, where are they going with this from the linebackers? Yep. And and number three is just you're trying to use your formation to, to, to manipulate their alignment in a way that sets up the inside zone better. Those are primarily the three reasons that you're going to do that. And yep. so uh, that won't be what determines whether you want to do a split zone or an inside zone. It's the same play. If you go block, if you go watch, for example, Chris Tyree's uh, 90-something yard touchdown against Syracuse or his 20-something yard touchdown against Clemson back in 2020 in the ACC championship game. That was just pure inside zone. But if, And then if you go watch Logan Diggs's touchdown run against South Carolina, it's the same exact play, blocked the same exact way with the offensive line. It's just split zone. So you had somebody coming from the backside. Same exact blocking scheme. Hits the defense the same exact way. You're just manipulating them differently or you may want to get a better angle. Downhill, vertical push play, hard double teams at the point of attack, working to the second level. You don't leave the first level until there's a reason to. So yeah. you're not going to leave the first level to go find the second level guy. You go to the second level when you get off your double team when, A, that guy flashes, right? So you see color coming across. I got to come off. Hopefully that guy's taken over by now and you get there. You also don't leave your double team if you don't feel – or you don't get the call from the guy you're working with that I got it. Let the linebacker try to make – the back's got to make somebody miss because otherwise we got two guys coming loose. And I'd rather the running back have to make a play off the linebacker than a three technique that's coming in, right? That's just kind of how I always was taught it. Outside zone is something we call a fast swipe, meaning we are working. And inside zone, you are power stepping, man. You are short power stepping, vertical insertion, vertical push. Outside zone, you're bucket stepping and you're moving. You're getting wide. And you're essentially trying to stretch the defense. Now, what I think a lot of people misunderstand about the inside zone run, they think you're trying to stretch it to the outside. It's not an outside running play. You no. can bounce it out that way. You'll see mid zone actually bounce outside the tight end more than you will see that from a outside zone what you'll find a lot of times like outside zone and buck sweep ryan which is a different play it's a gap scheme but you'll see it actually cut behind the center and guard because what happens is you're working 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 and you're what you're the stretch comes from you're stretching the defense out not yeah. that you're stretching outside so the stretch comes we're going to stretch which widens gaps and creates vertical insertion and you're, so you're you see go ahead yeah. ryan. I was just going to say you're creating a crease with movement. Like that's right. just kind of the basics. Right. Yeah. And so uh, you'll see like the Broncos used to run this a ton with Terrell Davis. We had Terrell Davis mentioned her and they would toss it because this is back when under center was more, they would toss it and Terrell would literally like jog to the right until he saw, and then boom, he would explode vertically into the hole. Yeah. Right. And so in, into the crease, it just hits completely differently. It's funny is the fast swipe hits slower from the back standpoint, but the linemen are working fast laterally. It's a lateral blocking scheme. You may actually give ground a little bit on an outside zone. Yes. It's okay. It's fine. You're okay with that. Inside zone, it's a push. 
So uh, the other thing, too, is, is if a team is condensed, you want to run outside zone at them. And I'll tell you where I really liked out where the when a team would play really tight with their technique, that's when I loved stretch, Ryan, because I actually like stretch to bounce against teams that do that. And and we're outside zone, like on an on a fast outside, like on a handoff or a toss, and you gotta you gotta be patient. Stretch to me is get downhill. And if a team's playing really condensed, then I like to kind of have a you know, like a little crack. Maybe you can get like a little cross block, maybe the tight, like just a little off the edge cross block, stretch and take that sucker outside. But you want to get outside when teams are tight. When teams are spread out a little bit more and more of a balanced alignment, that's when you can just hammer them with inside zone. That's why I love inside zone with RPOs. I think I think RPO is one of the best things ever happened to the inside zone. Like because now you can run that and you've got something with your pass game to occupy that over because that can be sometimes the hardest guy to block on inside zone is that overhang like rover outside Sam linebacker guy hard to account for him yeah, yeah. you're trying to yeah. get a receiver to block him well now if that guy wants to get get all sneaky and he wants to peek inside and crack I'm pulling that sucker and throwing the bubble screen yeah <laughs> that's why I think I think rover I think that RPO was a great thing for for duo and especially for inside zone if you can properly combine an RPO game out of 11 personnel or even 21 personnel with a second back out with your inside zone, it's a beautiful thing, man. It really yep. is. If you have a good offensive line. So I think, does that kind of answer the question, Ryan? Mid zone is, I mean, it's kind of a little bit of both. It's, it's a little bit more of a, of a wider blocking scheme, but it's not the fast swipe that you're going to get. It's, and it's also a play side run. You're gonna yep. you're gonna hit that more you know hit cutting into the a gap from a stretch, whereas inside zone you're aiming points the a gap with the thought of you're cut you're bending it backside. Yes. Chip Long used to have this expression. He would tell guys he would tell his backs if you stay play side on an inside zone and you don't get four yards, I'm taking you out. Like <laughs> this is this play is meant to is designed to be a backside cut, yes. not a front. So if you go front side, you better it bet you better give me four yards. If not, I'm taking you out. Because you know that's kind of you know that's kind of where it comes from. So, yeah. I um, anything to add, Ryan, on any of that stuff? No, I think you hit it. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Irish blooded. Here we go. Let's get back. Said other than Marcus Freeman, coach on the Notre Dame football staff, you would most want to sit and talk football with. 
Interesting one. I almost feel like it's a guy that is new to the staff that I just kind of want to get to know. Like, I don't, I don't know Joe Rudolph much, you know, like I know his past, but I would love to talk ball with him. And offensive line coaches always have that, like that um, personality where like they want to talk ball, you know what I mean? Like they just want to sit down and diagram stuff and really talk, talk ball. You know what I mean? So he'd probably be one for me, I think. Yeah. I love talking ball with offensive line coaches, man. I really do. Yeah, I really do. And then being a coordinator, he could, he could talk a little bit like Joe Rudolph. Like I love Harry. Heaston. I, I've been to two coaches clinics where Notre Dame, where I've just sit down and just listen to Harry. He said, talk. And then, then I'd start engaging with him, talking ball with him a little bit. And it just, I mean, he's an O-line guy, run yeah. game guy. Yep. Where Joe Rudolph, you could actually talk about pass game schemes and stuff with i'm not talking about my favorite pass concepts with harry he stand i was like bro just tell me how to block it you know what i mean um and and that's what's a little bit different about uh about coach he stand in my opinion is i mean about coach rudolph is, is he's got a little bit more of that to him so uh that'd be that'd be fun to do but I, honestly i would love to sit down and talk without golden i because he's a really smart guy he's a very personable guy and as long as he's willing to allow me to ask him a couple, a couple tough questions about, well, don't you think this or what about this? And, you know, maybe because we did a I don't remember if he was part of that or not, but we did like this staff sit down with Bowling Green's coaches back when Tim Beckham was there and and Virginia when Al Groh and his staff were there. And so we all kind of got together and this day we actually met at Christopher Newport. It was kind of like a, where we all met. And that's where I was at the time. And we just talk ball, talk ideas, share concepts, share, you know, how do you guys teach this? And it was kind of cool because I used to argue with my head coach all the time. Like he was just worthless, but he was, he would always teach three-step drop a certain way. And I hated how he'd teach it. <laughs> and so he looks at me, we're talking to him, Mike Groh, and he looks at me, he's like, well, let me ask you this. How do you guys teach three-step drop uh, from, I think from shot, uh, from, from shotgun. And he just kind of looks at me and he's like, because hey, he's thinking Mike Groh is going to, and then Mike Groh answers the question. He t- he's like, yeah, I teach it this way. And, and I'm over here like this because he, Mike Groh is like, it's exactly what I taught, how I taught it and would argue. Mike. And so I was like, yeah, okay. Thank you very much. <laughs> I couldn't say that because I didn't want to get fired. Uh, sure. But I was like, oh, that's interesting. I just looked away. I didn't, I wasn't, I was not going to make eye contact with my head coach at that point in time because I, because I knew, you know me, Ryan, I would have been like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, dumbass. You know, what I mean? so um, I didn't want to get fired that day, yes. so I didn't do that. But I mean, like, like that was a great staff, man. Like the Virginia guys were great. They we were talking ball. They didn't want to go into Division three guys, you know. And I've always, like, I've always told you, Al Grow, Al Golden. When I was ever around him, was always just a really nice, personable guy. I'd love to be able to talk ball with him. I would. I just would want to say, look, let me. This is me and you talking here. Right. Let me ask you some tougher questions. Explain to me why you're you're choosing to do this and why it's not better to do it this way. Yeah. You know, but but I'd also still want to learn, you know, like, oh, okay. You know, like, dude, you're coaching the NFL for six years. Like it's got a lot of experience. Let's talk ball, man. Yeah. So uh, that's probably who it'd be for me. Honestly, it would be Al Golden. Um, if if we're just talking one on one, heck yeah, that'd be a that'd be a, a good conversation. Yeah. Absolutely. Ch- Chancey Stucky be another interesting one because he also, I wouldn't just want to talk ball with him. He's got a very interesting background, doesn't he, Brian? It's like yes. high school quarterback, Clemson, NFL, was a pastor out in California for a little bit. Like he's got a very interesting background, man. He'd be, he'd be a, he'd just be an interesting interview, I think. Or He's anything. a very energetic guy. Yeah. Yeah. He'd be a good one. Dylan McCullough also, but I, 
he's got a very interesting history and, and story as well. He's got. A I mean, really there's a lot of good guys in the staff, man. There's a lot of good dudes that 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 I'd like to talk ball with. There's no doubt. There's a couple I wouldn't, but a couple yeah. that I would. No doubt. All right, here we go from J.P. Buhlsfeld. What's up, J.P.? Said Jerome Tang only had two scholarship players when he became Kansas State basketball coach one year ago, now in the Elite Eight through Transfer Portal. Do you agree this cannot happen at Notre Dame because the undergraduate transfer rules? I don't I don't necessarily think so. I mean, Notre Dame has gotten transfers with multiple years of eligibility left. I mean, that's the thing now is you can get a transfer and a grad transfer and still have two years to play. Do I think they can do it? Yes, I think they can do it. it look, here's the thing with Notre Dame. It's very simple. You got to go tra- grad transfers or freshmen. That's what you got to do. Notre Dame can get freshmen as transfers as long as they took legitimate courses. Because here's the here's the problem. Notre Dame will not accept classes towards degrees if it's not like an identical situation to what they have. And it's silly and stupid, and I get all that. Freshmen don't have that problem because it's not that they reject the courses outright. They just won't put it towards your – they'll accept all your classes, but they're just all gen eds. They just get all put towards gen eds. Well, now you got a million gen ed – or, I mean, not gen ed, um, but, I mean, gen, not general education, like, that's your degree, but uh, what am I, what's the word I'm looking for, Ryan? The stuff that you take requisites? that's not part of your... Requisites? Huh? Just, like, re- requisites, No, no, right? like, no. Y- when you graduate, you got to take your, your stuff for your major, and then you got to take the other, like, gen eds type of stuff, right, that doesn't necessarily go towards your major. I can't believe I'm, like, completely drawing a blank on the word I'm trying to find here right now. Uh, but, uh, anyway, the point is, those things will all get accepted. They just won't go towards your degree, your degree track. They just get the, yeah. the gen ed requirements is basically what they go towards. And electives. There it is. Electives. They're all Got towards it. electives. Got Thank it. you, Josh. And and so they just they're not part of your core track. Well, with a freshman, it doesn't matter because he's very he's hardly taking any classes like that. So if a freshman, like if Notre Dame misses out on a kid who's got good grades, as long as he goes to a school and gets decent grades, they can get him in. Cause if they just send all of his classes to electives, fine. You, you, you got your electives taken care of in your first year. So that, that would help them. They can do the freshman thing. They just can't get a junior, but here's the thing. Most juniors are graduating now. You know what I mean? And so it's like, there's just this weird middle ground with Notre Dame. That's hard to get, but like, some of the some of the transfers the football team missed on this year, it wasn't because they couldn't get him into school. It was missed. It's got out recruited. Yeah. Like the kid yeah. from uh, Western Michigan just got out recruited. Braden Fisk. You know? yeah. So that's the thing for me is that's where I look at it and say, I don't think the transfer portal should be limiting to Notre Dame because a lot of kids are transferring in three years with their degrees and they've got two years of left of basketball. Trey, Trey uh, Wirtz is like that. Cormac Ryan got, Cormac's got three flipping years. You know what I mean? So it's like, uh, now that was COVID related. Most kids sure. are going to have that, but Trey Wirtz had two years of eligibility left. They have gotten kids like that in there for basketball. That shouldn't be limiting. I don't think the transfer portal issues should, are, are going to be as, as limiting for basketball as they are for football, in my opinion. That's just, that's just my two cents. That, yeah. That's really what it boils down to. So I hope that answers the question, Ryan. Do you, do you happen, do you have a thought on that? Do you happen to agree with that or? I mean, it, I think in college basketball, it's it's such a different, just it's a different landscape altogether because we're talking about in a basketball landscape where one year in college, you guys can enter the NBA draft, right? So if a guy is going back to school in general, I think that landscape usually tells me that they probably 
generally care more about like the long term and kind of the you know the academic side than like a football perspective, right? Because a football a football player he might transfer, right? But like he has to stay in school three years. Like that's a requirement. Mm-hmm. You can't just leave after one year. So if a basketball player is going back for multiple years, that tells me that they're probably have a their their perspective is not just MBA or bust at that point, right? It's like let's get to a good situation, good academics, like that type of stuff. So I do think that Notre Dame can sell transfer portal basketball wise better than they can consistently yes. in the football side of things. Here's the thing that a lot of people are missing on this portal thing. There's two ways to look at the portal. One is, hey, let, we got to be like everybody else. Transfer portal, transfer portal. Transfer. Here's the deal. These are limited scholarship numbers on teams. So if yeah. teams are taking a ton of portal kids, guess what they're not taking? High school kids. Yeah. Notre Dame needs to always be a high school-driven program that fills needs with transfer portal kids. Women's basketball team has mastered that beautifully. Coach Ivy's done that a beautiful job. She's recruiting guards, just guards, guards, guards. And then she looks for the portal for solid bigs. And she's now done it a couple years in a row. She got the girl from Stanford last year that had a really good year. This year, Lauren Ebo has been in, incredibly valuable to this basketball team. Kylie Watson has been good, too. Kylie's got two years left, actually. Sean starts to tell me. But Lauren Ebo, I mean, they're not the same team without them. So go get those grad transfers. But what's the heart and soul of their team? It's Sonia Citron. It's Olivia Miles. It's Maddie Westbeld. Girls that they got. K.K. Bransford, who's a freshman. They're all girls that they got out of high school. And they just now signed the, uh, a top five recruiting class with three five stars, Hannah Hidalgo, uh, Emma Rich, and of course, Cass Prosper, who's been a great addition to this team with all the injuries. Uh, she uh, gra- she uh, kind of graduated early and joined the team in the second semester. And then balance that with a couple, you know, couple transfers at the with bigs and all that kind of stuff. I would like to see them actually kind of start recruiting some bigs if they can. Yeah, but she was able to use the transfer portal to kind of get some veteran guard, veteran bigs with her star young guards, and they've it's been a pretty good mesh, right? Uh, Dara Mabry was an undergrad transfer, so they, they've been able to get them. It just it's just a little harder to do, but they got Dara when she was still pretty young, and you know could still had plenty of time at Notre Dame to get her degree back on track because they're not going to take someone who's on a pace to graduate. That's the problem, right? And and you know so so that's. You know, that that's obviously a, a big red flag for me. So I think they can do it. I think it's a great point, JP. I think they can do it. But I, I would rather him say, hey, I'm not worried about building to make a tournament run next year. Our roster's a mess. And so I'll bring some transfers as long as those kids have multiple years to play. What I would like to see Notre Dame do is, hey, there's some top 50 to 100 kids that we otherwise weren't going to get because they were going to go to Duke or NC State or whatever that are now there for us to get because those teams are not giving as many scholarships out to high school kids. Yeah. That's where I think Notre Dame should like get that 85 to 100 kid that may not be a star as a freshman, but that's okay. They will be in a couple years. I think that's still where Notre Dame needs to be, Ryan. And if you can get some graduates to help you get there faster, great. But I just don't think the goal should be, what do we got to do to go be an elite eight team next year? You need to get get back on track and rebuild this roster, and I think the best way to do that is still through high school, a mix of predominant high school and then fill some needs here and there with with graduates. I think that's the way to go. And, and you can tell some high schoolers that they're definitely going to get playing time since the roster's a little barren right now, right? <laughs> like there's immediate opportunities for contributions as well. So it's going to be interesting, man. It's going to be well, really like Penn State's top uh, top signee just asked out of his letter of intent. 
with Penn State. Be curious. Like that's the kind of guys that yeah. I would go after as opposed to a million transfers. Clear, clearly a relationship there, right? So right. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Here we go. Let's get to some more, Ryan. Let's, let's try to work through as many as we can here. Vanilla Chill said, could you see Deion Colsey being Hartman's, assuming he's quarterback one, go-to red zone target this season? I could easily see Colsey being a guy that could snatch up 10-plus touchdowns. I mean, yes, he could be. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the Vanilla Chill, it's such an interesting roster for Notre Dame as pass catchers this year because there are several guys that you could convince me are that guy, right? Like, if you told right. me Tobias Merriweather was that guy, I'd be like, cool. If you told me that Deion Colsey was that guy, I'd be like, Yup. If you yeah. told me Mitchell Evans was that guy, I'd be like, cool, get that. If you told me Jane Thomas working in the slot in the red zone against you know against a safety is that type of guy as well, I think you have a lot of options to be that potential red zone weapon. So yeah, it could could Deion Colsey be that guy? For sure. Yeah. But I think that you have a lot of options on your roster, which is really fun. Yep, absolutely. Ryan, I'm gonna ask this one because it's for you. It's from John A1. He says, Ryan, which team drafting in the top 10? do you believe provides the best situation for a rookie quarterback? It's a great question in the top 10. So the teams that are in top 10 that are need of a quarterback, Carolina Panthers, Houston Texans, Indianapolis Colts, maybe Atlanta Falcons, Las Vegas Raiders out of those, out of those teams, I think it might be Carolina, Brian, but like you can convince me on Indianapolis as well. Like Indianapolis has building blocks up front and they have Michael Pittman Jr. Actually, I'm changing my mind. I'm changing my mind as, as literally as I'm talking about it. I was thinking Carolina for a second because Carolina does have a offensive line that really did take a step forward this year. So as a coach, you, you look at them and say like, um, you know, they're going to be able to at least run the football and pass protect. But I think it's Indianapolis. It's because you have building blocks on the offensive line. You still have Quentin Nelson. You still have Braden Smith, who's a good football player. You have Michael Pittman Jr. at wide receiver, but you also have Jonathan Taylor, which you'll be able to lean on the running game. So I think Indianapolis Colts would probably be my team. I want to uh, – Ryan, I'm, we're going to put some on the board here a little bit, but uh, the okay. Notre Dame released the times and, and the results for the uh, the players from today. I'm just going to give you a couple, couple of sure. them that stand out to me. Yep. Uh, Jason Adamiola weighed in at 6'3", 6'3", 1". And 280 pounds. He had 30. He was only 280. He was only 280. Yeah. Six, uh, three uh, or 10 and two eighth inch hands. Those are pretty big. 33 and three quarters. I'm going to screw with you, Ryan. 33 and three quarters uh, arm span and an 80 inch wingspan. Okay. Which is, I think, pretty good. Uh, yeah, 25, good. He did 25 reps on the bench. Good number. And he had a 33 inch vertical. I think those it's are all good. pretty good numbers. It's very uh, good. Five, the 40, he ran 502 with Solid. a 167 10 yard split. He ran a 459 in the shuttle and a 76 in the three cone. So, 167 10 yard is actually very good because yeah. Isaiah Foskey ran a 166 for some, yeah. for some comparison. Yeah. So that's Which a good is number. tracks with Jason. Really yeah. good initial burst. And uh, Justin Justin had three, 33 and eighth inch arms. He weighed in at 254 at a 32 inch vertical. He had a disappointing. He ran a four nine five with a one six ten, which is you know good. And then his shuttle was four five six and a seven four seven and three seven in the three cone. Not uh, good. Yeah, uh, Bo Bauer did not test, but he did do thirty reps on the bench. Uh, Thirty two inch arms. He weighed in at two forty. 
Tariq Bracey had a disappointing 40 time. He only ran a 4.54, which I expected a lot better from, than that from him. But he had a and he had a one five five ten, so he didn't have a great start either time. But he did he did have a thirty eight and a half inch vertical. That's nice. He measured in at five ten and one eight thirty one and a quarter inch arms, seventy three and a half inch vert so, wingspan. Thirty one is actually a really good arm length for a nickel corner for it's a five ten good. guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very good. Uh, and he had a four two one shuttle. Tariq did. That's not great uh, either. Yeah. Nope. Uh, huh. for, especially for a guy his size, Avery Davis. Uh, yeah. me- measured in at 5'10", 199. He ran a 4.56, which actually a 4.56 off a guy coming off of the injury he came off of is actually better than I kind of expected a little bit for him, but n- not as good as I think he would have done in uh, in peak physical condition. Isaiah Foskey measured in, Ryan. He 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 was a 263. Yep. Measured a 263 and an 82 and an 8-inch wingspan. Yep. See, uh, going down here, Brandon Joseph – Worked out. He did a 34 and a half inch vertical. He had a four five seven and a four six two. He had and he had a one five seven uh ten yard split. He did have a good um, a good shuttle. He ran a four oh nine on the twenty yard shuttle and a six eight in a three cone. That's really good. Which is really, really good. good. Yeah. But he he improved he improved his vertical by four inches from the combine. Yeah. <laughs> That's wild. <Yeah. laughs> Remind me to tell you something about um uh, Something weird that happened with him during the thing. Josh Lug weighed in at three hundred six. He he did yes. twenty, yeah, thirty one and three. That's he's the tallest short armed guy I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> yeah, almost six seven, thirty one and three eight inch arms. Seventy. Yeah. He did have a seventy seven and seven eighth inch wingspan, which isn't great for a guy that's almost six seven. Twenty and five and a half inch verts. Okay, but he had a uh, a five seven and a five seven eight. In the forty with a one eight four start, and he had a four eight three three cone and a eight one eight on the the or I mean uh, he had a excuse me four eight three on the twenty yard shot on an eight one eight on the three cone, which is not good. Yeah. And then Jarrett Patterson had a four seven three on the on the shuttle and then a seven six eight on the three cone with thirty two uh thirty one and an eighth inch arm length. He even today I'm looking I'm like dude those just do not look like short arms to me. Like yeah. it's so weird. Like I, I'm looking right. I'm like those do not look like 31 inch arms. But did, did you have a um? Did you know what his? Did they have a wingspan for Jared? Might just be six like and three quarters. Yeah. Okay, it's not that great either. Though. No, huh? no, it's yeah. not. And he weighed in at 307. Now, he's got big hands, ten and two eights. Chris Smith, I thought had a day. He, he measured in at six one six one two, 302 pounds, 31 and a in a quarter inch arms, which is not great. 76 and a quarter inch wingspan. He did 37 reps on the bench. He had a 31-inch vertical jump. It's really nice. <laughs> he ran a 509 and a 504. And I'll tell you, it was a clean 40 time. You know what I mean? Like uh, whatever the time was, you can watch a guy like he was a, it was a clean 40 time for a 302 pounder. He had yep. a 453 in the shuttle. And his, wow. his his start, his 10-yard start was 171, which is not bad for a guy over 300 pounds. Now and then his three cone was seven two seven. That's absurd for a seven yeah, two seven. And, and so Sean absurd. and I looked at each other. We were like, "Dude, that guy was moving." And, and I said, "You can ask Sean Davis." As I said, "Dude, he looked a lot quicker on that three cone than Jason Adamiola did. He looked good wow. to me, right? Seven two seven for a three hundred two pound guy with short legs is really good. He's going to really be in a camp. Good. He'll be in a camp with thirty and, and the thirty seven inch thirty seven reps on the bench." Yep. Like that's good. 
That's if really good. If you're going to have shorter arms, you better be benching, man. Yes. And he benches. Yeah. And his arms are like massive. Like he, yeah. he helped himself 31 inch vertical and a nine, nine foot broad. So it's all really yeah. good numbers actually. And it's a really five Oh four for a nose tackle, three nose, yeah. ta- three pound nose tackle. He had a day. He had a He's going to be, those, he'll those be in movement a camp. numbers are, did not shock me at all. When I watched him and Sean yeah. Davis, and I were talking about, I was like, dude, he is clean athletically. Yeah. Like really smooth. So yeah, that was that was big. That was really big. So I just wanted to throw some of those numbers out to you uh and get your help your stances on that. Chris Smith will be in a camp just based upon that testing. Yeah. Just based and he had good film this year too, Ryan. Especially yeah. after the like, first couple games, he wasn't great, but as he got more comfortable being at Notre Dame, he had a very good season. Very yeah. good season. He really did. Let's get back to some questions here, Ryan. Uh here we go. Here's one from Christopher Crosby. Christopher's question is, okay, last one for me. The safety room is pretty thin. If they don't move Clarence Lewis, is it going to force them to play Ben or Ben Minich or Don Schuler if he's healthy enough? I think it's going to more so force them to have to play Thomas Harper there, which is, yeah. to me, not ideal. I think it's going to force them to play him there, and that's just not where I want to be. I, I just I don't understand their unwillingness to move Clarence Lewis. I really don't. I do not understand that at all. You're pretty good at corner right now. I just you I are. don't get that. I really don't get it. And he can still play slot from safety. That's the thing. It's like yep. you don't have to you don't have to if he's not that, playing outside corner, he's playing safety and slot. That's okay. That's actually, that's a re- that's actually a really easy cross train is yes. to be a safety nickel. Like <laughs> it's a really easy cross the train. The guy you just recruited from Oklahoma State's a safety nickel. Yeah. And, you know, so I just I don't understand that. I don't understand that. From We Are Not Marshall, a wide receiver has 10-plus touchdown receptions this year. That means the offense was explosive. It got tiring last year with having to dissect the defense on every play instead of simple pitch-and-catch plays. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, if a guy has 10 touchdowns, it means the offense is explosive. Not necessarily. I mean, if a guy's just getting a – to relate to the earlier question, if a guy's just getting a bunch of red zone touches. I mean, look, Michael Mayer had almost 10 touchdown receptions this year, right? Yeah, they have like nine, and I don't. I think their offense was far from explosive. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, he had nine touchdown catches this year at the tight end positions. I just think it means you have somebody who's really good red zone weapon. Now, if it's if you were to tell me that Lorenzo Styles has ten touchdown receptions, or Tobias has ten done touchdown receptions, that most likely means that they were making explosive plays. If Braylon James ever has 10 touchdown receptions in his career, it means he's explosive, right? Yeah. So it just depends his... on the player. If Dion has 10, I mean, Dion could average 12 yards a catch and have 10 touchdowns. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, no, but, I think it would be more than 12, but you get the point, yeah. right? It's just a bunch of red zone touchdowns. Yeah. I mean, but to a po- but to your point about like if it's Braylon James at some point, it's like th- that it probably averaged like thirty yards per touchdown right. reception, right? right? Like, like Will Fuller, yeah. a lot like Will Fuller. Yeah. I mean, Will Fuller didn't have a lot of three yard touchdown fade catches in his career, like Michael exactly. Floyd had. You know what I mean? So in two thousand eleven, so it just depends on the player. It depends yeah. on the player. Uh, yeah, touchdowns are not necessarily the the thing that I would say. Give me this number, and I can tell you that you're good. You you tell me that of the five receivers in the rotation. Three, three or you know, three or four of them averaged over 15 yards a catch. Yes, okay, that yep, that you were a pretty explosive offense this year, no doubt. Yeah, right. That would tell me a lot more than 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 uh, touchdown catches. We got a super chat here that I'm going to read, Ryan, because it's draft related. This is from okay. Tyler Evans. So the top four quarterbacks in this draft, which one needed to show out more in their pro day? Anthony Richardson, Will Levis, C.J. Stroud, or Bryce Young? Uh, 
I don't mind uh, I mean, on this. I guess Bryce Young, since he didn't do anything at the combine, like you saw some from the other spots. So like, I guess that's the answer, but I don't really put that much stock in the pro days. I would have liked to see improvements from both Will Levis and Anthony Richardson as far as throwing at the pro days. But I think the answer is ends up being Bryce Young, just because you didn't see him do anything at the, at the combine. So he's the yeah. one that you had, I don't want to say question marks with, but like, it's just an unknown as far as what yeah. it looked like type of thing. Here's my thing, Ryan. I say the answer is Anthony Richardson. And the reason I'll say that is, is because for all the talk about how great he was at the combine, he tested great. I didn't think he threw great. I think if he could put together a good throwing day, teams are dying. They're looking for any excuse to fall in love with Anthony Richardson as a quarterback because the God-given tools are immense. So I think if he went out and put on like a passing clinic the way that C.J. Stroud did, I think that would that would move teams more than anybody. I, I want to say Will Levis if we're being rational, but it doesn't matter how bad that guy looks, man. There's just some NFL people that just love that guy. I, I yeah. Like part of me wants to say Will Levis because I think he's the worst thrower of the football of all those guys in this conversation by a mile, you know. But Bryce Young can simply say, "Look at my tape. Look at my tape." You know, CJ could do that to a degree too. I think CJ answered some questions about his arm strength in the pro day yesterday that's the end at the combine that's the only questions i had on cj stroud if i'm an nfl scout is he's got to throw the ball down the field a whole lot can he can he really throw it down the field because they don't ask him to throw the ball deep a lot you know that ryan it's a one big knock on ryan day's offense for quarterbacks i thought cj threw the really good deep balls at the combine i thought he threw some really pretty deep balls just show me a lot of arm power to get the ball down the field would you say that that's accurate i mean that's one thing he needed to show bryce throws a some really good, a lot of deep balls at Alabama, or a lot more deep balls at Alabama. I felt anyway. Yeah, but we know Richardson and Levis can throw the deep ball. They just have no touch and no feel, especially Levis, because again, Levis is like a fifth or sixth year guy, where Anthony Richardson is still young. Richardson, CJ, and Bryce Young are all all really still really young guys. Yeah, I just I don't get this infatuation with Will Levis. He's a fifth year guy. He was a 2018 guy. I just don't get yeah. the infatuation with him. He wasn't even that, never threw for 3,000 yards in college. Got beat out by Sean Clifford. Even though they don't throw the ball very much, he's been over 10 interceptions in each of the last two years. I just, I don't get it, man. I just, I don't have a clue where the, the will. I mean, I, I, I know what you're going to say, and I don't. Well, no, I was going to, I, I wasn't going to go with the tall white thing for yeah. a second. There's just, yeah. there's a lot of reports that like, coaches love him he's a smart kid like that type of Whatever. stuff too. so like, i mean yeah. yeah isn't that why people drafted christian ponder right yeah. i don't care if he's all those things can he throw or not you know that that's the thing for me like i've heard people make people make mentions about oh you know sam hartman throws throws too many interceptions or whatever and i'm like okay that's fine you know there's there's reasons for it but i'm like did you watch did you watch will levis the last two years I mean, Will Levis has thrown 23 interceptions the last two years, Ryan, on – let me see here. It's so 353 plus, plus 283. So Will Levis threw 23 interceptions on 636 throws. That is not a good interception ratio. Sam Hartman threw like 20 – was it 26 interceptions on Something over like 900 attempts the last two years. It's like I just do not understand the Will Levis infatuation. My, I just my my, my my favorite uh my favorite falsity about Will Levis is that he didn't play with any talent at Kentucky. It always makes me laugh. It always makes me yeah, laugh. Like Wondell Robinson just went in the second round. Chris Rodriguez right. ran for a thousand yards like three straight years. Right. But yeah, he, he didn't play with any sure. talent. You're right. Sure. You're right. And who was that kid they had? 
Wandale, there, wasn't there another kid? Or no, that guy was before. That guy was before Levis got they, there. They had another. They had another yeah. solid receiver that came out last year. I think too. Yeah. I can't remember what his name I'm was. Think, I, yeah, they had a. Yeah, they had a kid a couple years ago, but um, that the kid that played ended up moving to quarterback, but he was gone before Will Levis got there. Oh, you're talking. Oh, yeah, you're talking about the um, Bowden kid, Lynn yeah, Bowden. Bowden yeah. Kid. yeah, 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 yeah. But they had another kid. But that was Jeff Badgett, is who I was thinking of. Uh, Badette, but he was there way before Will Levis was there. So yeah. that was the other guy I was looking at. Oklahoma yeah, Wandell, Wandell Robinson had 100 ca- 104 catches for 1,348 yards. Like, and he was a second-round draft pick by the right. Giants. So, and yes, Barry yeah. Brown this year is a freshman. I love that kid's film coming out of high school. He had a good year, like, I think, as a freshman. Yes, the 50 catches for 628 yards. I mean, that guy was a good football player coming out of high school. So I – I don't get where some of these people – I mean, I, I graded him as a four-star kid coming out, so don't talk to me about leading that players. Get out of here with that stuff. That's ridiculous. All right, let's get to some more here, Ryan. we got another super chat. From Mark One, it says, Hi, guys. I know off topic I had asked in a previous podcast about the quarterback transfer fitting in. Now time has passed. What do you think? I mean, for what we know now, two practices in, I think he's fit in just fine. I mean, yeah, you know, he relates well with the players in the room. He hasn't been a jerk. I mean, we were doing interviews and Sam's over there, you know, he's looking down and you could just tell he doesn't want to be there. And that's okay. I didn't like, I don't like talking to the media either, uh, you know, but, um, but then he walks out and you just see a different, and he starts like making some little comments to Kenny Minchie and Kenny laughs. I mean, you could just tell that there's a relationship there already. And what you don't want is some guy that comes in and he's like, I'm here to do my thing. And that Sam has come in as a teammate you know, and a guy that wants to compete. And I think that's something that's from what I've been told is really ingratiated himself with his teammates is that guy's not coming here big time in anybody. Hey, I'm the 19th all time leading passer in college football history, which he is. He, yeah. Sam Hartman is a t- top 20 all time in college football for passing yards and passing touchdowns. Yep. And he could act a certain way, but he hasn't from what I'm told. And that's a great thing. So. I think it's more of like a the less you hear the better type of conversation. Honestly, it's like just seamless transitions is what you're looking for for this type of conversation. Yeah, yeah, because it is tough. I mean, I think it is tough. I mean, we we don't talk about this, but like it's not easy being a grad transfer for one year and assimilating yourself, especially a quarterback. Man, like you're the leader, you know. Like it's not easy, but I think Sam will be just fine. We have no reason to think that he won't. Yeah. From so, Bailey, oh sorry, I shall read it for you, my friend. Let me set you up every now and then. Uh, Bailey Brad says, if Mayer ends up Michael Mayer ends up falling in the draft, is there an argument that Mayer should have come back for another year? I'm very curious to hear your opinion on this. That okay, you have the same answer I do. Explain, yeah. Ryan. Because Mike, Michael Mayer, if he was going, if he's going to fall this year, he's going to fall next year. It has nothing to do with physical but traits. What, it's people uh, overthinking. Yeah. Whatever they're going to pick apart about him now is not going to be any different next year. Yeah, exactly. It has nothing to do with his route running. It has nothing to do with his hand strength, ability to play through contact. None of that. People are overlooking him because he doesn't have the longest arms in the world, and he's not the most vertically explosive athlete of all time. Like Those are the knocks against him, and that would be the same. I still think he's faster than people think. Yeah, and he ran 4.7 flat. It's a good number. It's a good number. But – and we've seen games where he he can he can stretch the seams. He's a yeah. but he's a throwback. I think the arm length is something that's a concern. And we saw that a little bit today. There's a couple balls that were just slightly out of his catch radius, and I get that. But yeah. sometimes you can overthink it and yes. say, "Who's your quarterback?" You know, if your quarterback's a veteran guy with good accuracy, then he's going to love a guy like Michael Mayer. 
Yeah, so whatever they're overthinking this year, they were over, going to overthink next year. Because Michael Mayer is not getting any better next year. I mean, yeah, he can refine his technique a little bit better and maybe put a whole year of good blocking on film. But yeah, and next year's tight end class isn't going to be. I mean, there, there's there's a legit argument for someone to be better than him in next year's draft class. Yep. There isn't one in this year's draft class, but yet some people are still making it. Like, yep. you know, so mm-hmm. it, it would have still happened. It would have still happened. All right, here we go, Ryan. Next question is from Vanilla Chill. Said, when a player like CJ Carr is recruiting players to also come to Notre Dame, does the staff tell him who they might want to him to recruit or Carr gives names to the staff or who could be a good fit as well? I'm not sure how I'm allowed to answer this question, right? Because I'm not sure what the rules are. All I will say is, is that CJ Carr has a pretty good idea of who Notre Dame is recruiting. Yes. And I'll just leave it at that because I'm not quite sure um, what the rules are on that. So (laughs) there's never a question about him knowing who they're, who they're recruiting. Yeah. So, yeah, here we go. From Advent in Notre Dame, a bent Notre Dame. Current best guesses at the wide receiver defensive line classes. Thanks for attempting. So we're talking twenty twenty four. It is so. It is so. I mean, it's how does Logan Thomas's visit go this weekend? I right. There's so much I got to know before I'm ready to go there. The only thing that I'm comfortable saying right now is that I'm pretty confident that Bryce Young's going to end up at Notre Dame. After that, I don't have a clue. It's way too early for that. I mean, we haven't started spring visits yet. Those don't really start till tomorrow. Yeah. So it's so early for that. It is way too early for that. Wide receiver, same thing, because there's so many kids on the board, Ryan. Like there's yeah. not, we got to get these two no matter what. There's like seven or eight guys that they're like, give me any of those two and we're going to be happy. And that includes Isaiah Canyon, for example, from Georgia, is a guy that I know this Notre Dame staff loves, Ryan Wingo, Jeremiah McClellan, Quasi Gilmer, Micah Gilbert. Josiah Brown. Josiah yeah. Brown. I mean, there's there's yeah. a lot of guys on the board. I don't know which two are going to end up coming to Notre Dame. I really don't. It's too, it's early yet. I just I, – I think it's a really de- – I don't know if there's a lot of truly elite receivers, Ryan, like we've seen in past years. It's not like the 08 class with where I had like seven five-star guys in my view. But it's a really deep year receiver. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of good receivers out there. Curse. And so I uh, – and that's just going to be happening more and more and more, Ryan. Just more kids want to play receiver. And more teams are playing three and four receiver offenses in high school, and it's just – you're just – it's always so, going to be deep. If I'm a parent of some of these kids, man, I'm like, hey, man, you could be a real good receiver at the next level or you could be an elite quarterback, though. Bingo. Like, I, I would – Bingo. Yeah. I told you the J.C. Horn thing, right? Where, like, J.C. was a big-time wide receiver coming out of high school. It was his dad, Joe Horn, who was like, no, J.C., you need to go play corner, dude, because there's a lot of you at wide receiver in in college football and in the NFL. There's not a lot of guys that play like you and look like you at cornerback in the NFL, and that's kind of where the difference is. Yep, absolutely agree with that. And for me at receiver, if you can take four, that's fine. I'm good with three because, Ryan – you just signed four last year. All your kids on your – you don't have a receiver on your roster that's out of eligibility after this year. Not one, except for Matt Salerno, yep. right? So I, I, I don't want to start loading up too much because then you then you run the risk of losing some of these guys. And also, I want to load up now. I want Taylor Taylor. I want. I mean, there's some dudes on the board for next year. I want to start giving me three a year every year, and I think that's a much more comfortable place to be. Yeah. Now that you now that you've regulated the board a little bit as far as yeah. the roster, and you start to actually have numbers that make sense. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah. Here's an interesting one I want to ask you, Ryan. Uh, USMA87 asks, 
Which current Notre Dame quarterback has the highest probability of starting in the NFL? I want to get your answer. I have a twofold answer for that, but uh, I want to get your thoughts on that. Do you want me to answer it first while you think about it? Yeah. Okay. So here's twofold answers. Highest probability right now today. It's Sam Hartman because he's the most experienced and we we know the most about him. If it's just based on talent, Right, which so take experience out of it, then it's Kenny Minchie, in my opinion, actually. I that's what I, I think. Was I, I think that's well. of all the guys in the roster right now, because again, I'm not counting CJ Carr because CJ Carr is currently not on the roster. Right. If you want to include all including guys that are committed to Notre Dame, it's CJ. CJ is the most to me natural God given talent of all the quarterbacks currently on the team or down the road. The reason I didn't go with Tyler Buckner is, is because again, as we mentioned, Tyler has a lot more mechanical work that is needed before he's ready to be in that conversation. Tyler has the the highest upside as a college quarterback of all of them, in my opinion. I think Kenny has better pro tools, in my yeah. view, than Tyler does. That's just, Ken, that's just my Ken, two cents. Kenny was my initial one. And I, I mean, because the thing about Sam Hartman is that I think Sam Hartman's going to be in the NFL, but there's I think there's a question of like, is he just a backup? Is he a guy, guy that's going to start games? Like, that's kind of where my my questions come from, but I think Kenny Minchie does have kind of that profile where you just say like, again, man, we're talking about a kid is a true freshman in his first ever spring, but like long-term you look at him and say like, you know, he's probably going to be six two, two hundred twenty 220 plus pounds. He throws a good ball. He's got kind of the best combination. I think of size frame. Exactly. Yeah. Size, yeah. arm strength, solid he's athlete. Like, wicked smart. Like yeah. Kenny is wi- anyone that's been around him for five minutes. Say that kid is a wicked smart when it comes to football. Agree. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Let's get to some more here, Ryan. I'll ask this one. This is NFL question. How do you like the Irish in the NFL? Like Drew Tranquil to the Chiefs, Jer- Jer- uh, Julian Love to the Seahawks, and Mike McGlinchey to the Broncos. Hope they kill it. I know one that I'm rooting the hardest for yeah. is Mike McGlinchey with the Broncos. I mean, their there's been a line has been t- their right tackle situation has been awful for e- years. Ever since the whole uh, Jawan James thing a few years ago, kind of fell ever since, actually, phase. ever since Ryan Harris retired. I mean, that's yeah, because he was solid in his couple years back with the Broncos. But yeah, the Jawan James things was weird. It's it been a weird. jinx position ever since. You're absolutely right, Ryan. So it regulates it a little bit. I, I, I still think Mike has a lot of improvement that he needs to make, man. But like, you, you are he is a better option to what right tackle has been at Denver. The immediate, immediate that he lands right. there, right? Like you immediacy. Julian Love to the Seahawks, I think, is a really nice fit, man. I think that they asked their safeties to do a little bit of everything, and I think Julian can do a little bit of everything. And they got him on a really team-friendly deal, man. Yeah. Like They did not have to give him a lot of money. So Average of six mil a year? That surprised me. After 100-something tackles, a yeah. couple interceptions, like, yeah, played really well. So I think that the Love fit, though, schematically in the Seattle system is really nice. Drew Tranquil to the Chiefs, look, I, I think that Drew could be a really good player for the Chiefs. I just didn't think that the chiefs needed drew tranquil if that makes sense like they have talented linebackers already i think drew i'm interested to see how they use drew like is drew a full-time starter is he a guy that's rotating in like it's very very odd fits for me but i think drew will do a good job for what he's asked to he just had a quietly a good season for the chargers so yeah dude i completely forgot when you're talking about receivers jason robinson I completely yes. forgot about Jason Robinson. That's another one on the board. And he, he'd he probably visiting. be in my top two or three of most likely as of yeah. right now. I agree with that. I'm receiver. Yeah. He'd probably yeah. be there for me. Um, but yeah, uh, it's there. But yeah, I, I hope I hope they all do. Drew Tranquil, great kid. Julian Love, really like Julian. Uh, McGlinchey obviously has the one I'm rooting for the most because that's selfish. 
Yeah. The Broncos can just have a solid right tackle. Their offensive line is going to be a lot better. Yeah. I like the Ben Powers move even as much, if not better than the McGlinchey one, just for me personally. But their center still stinks right now. So we'll see how. How, we'll see how dare changes. you insult Lloyd, Lloyd Cushenberry like that, man? Ugh. Here's an interesting one from John A. One, right? Said in terms of talent, is there a position group that lacks the potential to compete for a championship in 2023? Potential, I would say no. The closest that I would say right now, Ryan, to that would probably be safety. For yeah, me. yeah, safeties because like, there's a ton of potential on the linebacker core. There's a ton of potential on the defensive line. Ton of potential at cornerback. Although I'd say cornerback. Yeah, cornerbacks, yeah, no, it's receiver, running back, tight end. I mean, they're all positions with potential to be outstanding. Offensive line, yeah. All of yeah. them, yes, yeah. all of them. I'd say the biggest question mark I have is because Don Schuler and Ben Minnis are good players. There's no cornerback, you have potential stars. Linebacker, you have potential stars. D-line, you have potential stars. Tight end, you have potential stars. Receiver, you have potential stars. Running back, quarterback, offensive line, all of them. Safety, I don't see a potential star, especially now that Brandon Hillman's not there. I don't see a potential star. I don't. Uh, Xavier Watts is the closest thing to it, but he's going to be a senior this year. Yeah. You know, like I love a Don Schuler and Ben Minich as good football players. Jalen Elliott types. And I can have a good secondary with Jalen Elliott types, but you're not going to be a championship team because of that position group. It just right. won't limit you from being a championship team is what I would say. You, you need other stuff around it to yeah. be very good in order for that to yep. be a championship level one. I agree yep. there. I agree. Yep. Safety. Uh, can I say place kicker? <laughs> can I say that one? Hey, man. A little bit. Let's let's see what Spencer Schrader's got in the leg, yeah. man. Let's see what yeah. he's got. They haven't put him on the roster yet. So, I know. Well, you know, I got to figure that one out. Here's, a, yeah. here's another one, Ryan. This is an interesting one, too. I like this one. And from Zaremba, or would yeah. you consider replacing Stanford with a Texas and Florida team rotation, such as a UCF or TCU? I'm saying this to establish a possible pipeline in Florida and strengthen a pipeline in Texas. I could not care less about trying to establish a pipeline in Florida because it's never going to happen. Not yeah, no, it's, so Florida is just not a place that's going to be consistently good for Notre Dame. Yeah. Texas, sure. Sure. I would yes. look at that. I don't know if TCU is that answer. You know, I, I don't know if that's the route to go. I don't know if playing TCU is going to, what I would say, Ryan, is I would care more about having more Shamrock series games in that region. You know, yeah. play, play more Shamrock series games in, in, in Arlington Heights, right. In doubt the Dallas area, you know, but yeah, I'd, I'd schedule home and home with TCU. Sure. I just don't, you know, they're going to play Texas A&M soon. Love that one. Love that one. Because if you can go down there and beat them at their place on Kyle Field, man, that's that's wonderful. It's great. Yeah, uh, play in Texas. I, you know, th- those those are options. You know, play Baylor. I'd you know, have a home and home with Baylor. I, I'd I'd be all about that. I'd be totally fine with a home and home with Baylor. So uh, Texas, I care a lot more about. But I also wouldn't give up on the Pac-12 to either Zaremba. I I think you can do both, right? I I, I like the notion of of doing things to establish a Texas pipeline. But I think you can do things where maybe you play a West Coast team in Dallas in a one-off. Hey, we're going to play UCLA in a Shamrock Series game in Dallas, right? That'd be cool. I'd love to see that. And and so I think that'd be that'd be a lot of fun. I would I would that's another way of doing it, but I kind of like the notion of having some Pac-12 teams on there too. So, you know, if you're going to get rid of Stanford, you know, play a play a Washington, play a UCLA, play the Arizona schools. Because to me, I think 
Texas and Arizona are two areas where I want to establish pipelines. No, no question. Because you know, Arizona, Ryan, you and I have talked about, that is a ascending state. A lot of that California talent is now in Arizona. And there's some Texas talent moving out to Arizona as well. So Arizona and Texas, I care a lot more about. But I don't want to completely give up on the Pac-12 because it's not always just about scheduling for pipelines. Right. Sometimes it's about, I want to play a team from all over. And I still like the idea of having a a a West a Pac-12 team on your schedule. Now, if the Pac-12 goes away, you still, I mean, you still have USC, but I, you know, I I, I wouldn't mind seeing those two conferences be part of rotation because, so, like I said, Ryan, and I said this, I think when you left, sometimes I would like to see play Washington in Dallas, yeah, play UCLA in Dallas. That'd be pr- so. Now you're getting a, you're getting both of it in a in a sort of a shamrock thing. I think that'd be cool too. So, yeah. but Texas and Arizona, I care. Those are the two states more than any other that I say schedule games to try to create a pipeline. I think those two states can be great for Notre Dame. Arizona is one that we don't talk about enough, man. Like Notre Dame needs to get into Arizona over the next couple of years. There's talent coming out, man. Like yeah. I know you feel good about like Kennedy Urlacher, but like Elijah rushing this year, there's Jeremiah Newcomb. There's, yeah. He's a good football so player. Jeremiah Newcomb's a yeah. really good football player. There's a couple um, corners that we know that they were out to see on the trail that they didn't even offer yeah. where you're just like, that's a good player, man. Like that's yeah. a good football player. So yeah. yeah, Arizona's a spot that they need to start getting some traction in, right? Just some. Yeah. Yep. I agree. I, I agree. Uh, so good questions, Ramba. I mean, um, yeah, good question there. Very good question. Here is a super chat from Tyler Evans. And his question, thank you, Tyler. Is there a coaching hire that you can think of that set a program back big time? Uh, there's a uh, lot of them, I would think. Ryan Van um, Gorder. <laughs> that's one. For Notre Dame fans, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah one. I mean, there, there, you could you could go down. I mean, we could do this all day. But, yeah, I mean, it's happened to a lot of places. I mean, you could do just Notre Dame history if you want, right? Like, can we do, like, Tyra Willingham and, like oh, – well, well, Bob Davey. Yeah. I mean, yeah. replacing – Lou Holtz with Bob Davey instead of Barry Alvarez, huge yeah, mistake. Yeah, yeah, huge yeah. mistake. Yeah, uh, Ty Willingham. I don't, I don't fault Notre Dame for that one because they had already found the guy they thought was going to be good for them, and and the had that whole fiasco with George O'Leary. Yeah, they chose Bob Davey. That was a True. dumb. And I actually understand. Look, Charlie Weiss didn't pan out, but I completely got that one. It made yeah. a lot of sense. You, you'd been turned down by Urban and some other people. Why not make a run at term? I mean, he was a hot name as a coordinator, was an alum. You know, had East Coast ties. I mean, I understood that one. It just didn't work out. In some areas, it didn't work out. What's um? Who was the coach for Tennessee after Phil Fulmer? Um, oh, Derek Dooley. Derek Dooley Wait, is a, a that, bad one. Never, never, <laughs> and then they followed up with Butch Jones. Yeah. That set them back in a in a big way yeah. for like ten years. <laughs> set them yeah. back like it a set long them back time. In a big way. It yeah. really did. Uh, the guy uh, Jim McElwain at Florida was a bad hire i thought that was a bad one uh usc had usc had a bunch in the 80s a bunch of bad hires in the 80s that set that program back and they never were the same until pete came along and like what was it like 99 i think is is like they were a mediocre program for a long time they hired the guy from the smith guy larry smith right from uh missouri i heard like ted tolner he was a mediocre coach so yeah we've we've seen and, and there's been assistant coaching hires that have like Dan Mullen's unwillingness to get rid of Todd Grantham is what a, a big played a big role in what did him in, in my opinion. You know, Brian Van Gorder. I think Brian Kelly's career would have turned out way different, way different if he was more willing to fire coaches. 
I'm I'm serious. Like if he would have been more willing to get rid of Longo and Van Gorder after 2014 and brought in a Mike, I still say this. I'll I'll take this to my grave, everybody. If Notre Dame had a legitimate strength coach and a legitimate D quarter in 2015, they could have won a championship. Flat out, that team, even with the injuries, Deshaun Kaiser could have freaking beat Jacob Coker with Will Fuller and CJ Procise and an elite offensive line. In like they had like nine dudes on that on that defense in 09 were NFL players, including the best linebacker, the most explosive athlete pound for pound. You could argue that in 2015, Notre Dame had the two most explosive pound for pound athletes in college football, Will Fuller and, and Jalen Smith. And they had a bunch of NFL guys on both lines. They were wasted by a bad strength program and a terrible defensive coordinator. And so if Brian Kelly would have made the right move after 2014, which Saban would have done, which Urban would have done, then I think Kelly could have a ring right now. I really, I really believe that. Because look, they almost beat Clemson with all those dudes, and we saw what Clemson did with Alabama. That Notre Dame team was legit. That was a legit title contending team with speed and size. They were balanced. They had athletes all over the field. They had NFL players at corner. They had the best linebacker in college football. They had NFL guys along the defensive line. They had three first-round draft picks and a second-round draft pick along the offensive line, an NFL guy at tight end, a second-round draft pick at quarterback, the most explosive wide receiver in college football, a third-round draft pick at running back who was not even their fastest running back. They had C.J. Procise, Josh Adams, and Dexter Williams on that team after Torian Folson got hurt. So I look at it and say, man, that team – that team could have been really good if they had a better defensive coordinator and a real strength program. So I think that's set Notre Dame back big time. Even though they were good the several years after, imagine if Notre Dame would have made a title game run and lost to Bama the way that Clemson did. The perception of Notre Dame would be so different. And if they could have won that game, and I think they could have beat Bama that year, man, we're t- Ryan it completely changes the narrative of who Notre Dame is right now. And it was all because of his unwillingness. And it was all because he hired Van Gorder, which I didn't like, and couldn't see the writing on the wall. I mean, the 2014 defense was one of the worst defenses. Like the 2007 team that sucked actually had a pretty solid defense. They were just god-awful on offense, Ryan. They couldn't score. But their defense wasn't terrible that year. But, man, it's crazy. Absolutely crazy. It's really crazy. I, another one that came to my mind, Brian, was uh, Clay Helton. I think was a oh, massive yeah. mistake there, man. Because yeah. they they wasted. I think they wasted a couple of really talented football th- yeah. teams during that time, man. Really talented teams. That six that sixteen team should have been way better at the beginning. Because by the end of the year, they were really good, and that seventeen team was disappointing as well. <laughs>
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.